Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Black Belt or Bust. I'm Keely. And I'm Misty. And today we are talking about newbies. Yes. And you ju- you decided to make your jujitsu journey. You picked a gym. Now what? Yep. What can we expect? So today's episode is going to focus on, since it's a Technique Tuesday, today's going to focus on physically what can you expect whenever you start jujitsu. And the first thing I want to start out with is the expectations you have of yourself. Because yes. you're, no offense, you're a white belt. <laughs> the coaches and instructors and no one has any expectations of you because you're a white belt. Yep. But you may have some expectations of yourself. Missy, what, when you started, what was something you thought physically <laughs> whenever you started? Um, like, what was an expectation you had of yourself? Okay, so this... My expectations for myself starting jujitsu, one, were to be able to defend myself because that was my intention with jujitsu. I didn't see anything else but learning moves, knowing how to defend myself. But the more I trained and fell in love with the sport, the the more pressure I put on myself in it. I, it wasn't completely negative because I wanted to do well at jujitsu. It was just, I, and you know this, I'm really hard on myself. Yep. <laughs> you, you, okay. This isn't just Misty specific, although this really highlights Misty's personality and that the hardest cri- critic is yourself. Yes. Your coach is never going to be your hardest critic yes. because only what you value as correct is how you're is how you're gonna judge things. Yeah. So <laughs> going into it, that that's just the evolution of what I expected from myself. But because I always wanted so much more out of it, I expected to I allowed myself to push myself and to try and to continue to try. So some people will come into this seeing other people who've already been there, who've already been training without knowing their background without without knowing their jujitsu journey and they're just like oh they're good that's how i need to be right now no 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 or no or seeing somebody in some gyms you walk out and you see somebody your size and how well they're doing that's different than if you go into a gym and there's not somebody your size Mm -hmm. and you think oh obviously my body type can't do this on top of the fact that people come in with this preconceived notion and this is the excuse every jiu-jitsu academy has heard. I'm not fit enough to train jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. Or I am not in shape enough. And they believe that they have to work out and get into a certain shape, which they don't they don't define that either, if you notice. Yeah. They just say, I need to get in shape. It's like, okay, at what point? Mm-hmm. At what point are you fit enough? Is it when you're doing so many hours a week? It's Is it when you're no longer sedentary? Is it when you're at a certain percent body fat, percent or like a uh, pound body weight? Mm-hmm. At what point are you coming in? Yeah. And are you making any step towards doing that? No. One, you didn't need to do that to begin with. Yeah. Two, let's be honest about this. If that is truly your intention, give me... Give me your threshold. Okay, once you meet that, you're walking in. Mm-hmm. Like you're okay the day that you meet this criteria, you're starting class. And be honest with yourself if that's actually the case or not, or if it's an yeah. excuse. Yeah, so one of our teammates, when he started, he was much heavier than he is now. And because he couldn't do some moves, 
the coach that was there before ours made him do shrimps for an hour. Holy. Just shrimp. And he tells everybody that story, too, when we talk about being in shape and being fit. Like, he lost weight because of jujitsu. I know he's lost at least 100 pounds, at least. And... Because it's a it's it's a physical activity, and the cool thing about jujitsu, one cool thing, is there's a place in it for every size, literally. Like there really is. And sometimes some people will say, "Hey, I want you know, like an," we'll say absolute. I know a lot of people are new. You know, if you're new or you're established, it's you see where everybody is at different sizes and where we all fit in our own little area. But you're bro- then you you're come broken together. up into your weight classes yes. and great training, particularly for competition in sport jujitsu is you are going to find somebody, your body weight or your frame size, or even slightly bigger than you, because those are the type of people that you're going to be rolling with for competitions. Yes. And everybody breaks up into weight classes. And then there's this beautiful and terrifying thing at the same time called Absolute divisions or open <laughs> open class <laughs> in which, uh, particularly for tournaments, sometimes it's only the, the people who play in the top three of their weight class. It's any weight. Mm-hmm. You could be a flyweight going against a heavy, and you think, oh, that doesn't sound so scary. But when you're looking up and it's like a David and Goliath moment, yeah, the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, if you don't know these people, look up Mikey Musumeki. Yes, he's. Our size. I think mm-hmm. he's what? Like, between me and you. Yeah, and he competes at the men's rooster weight, which is around women's light feather, I think. So, he, he goes back and he's, forth. He's smaller. Yeah. And he's in, especially for some of the past IBJJF tournaments just this year, really look up this person. We really adore this person due to the fact that his sister also trains, mm-hmm. and he is very, very promotive of her accomplishments yes. on top of him competing. Just a wonderful human being to follow on Instagram. You need to find mm-hmm. him, Mikey Musumeki. But he really shows that you can be any size to roll. But notice the style at which we roll differs. Yes. Because of the physical limitations or just what you can do naturally. Yeah. And you'll use different guards, different positions based off of the different people you're rolling with. Exactly. And so it gives you a chance to change up. It's not your game you're changing up, but the situation where sometimes you have to go from one guard to another because of who you're rolling with. And that's okay. And it's going to change. Because we all fit in somewhere in jujitsu as far as our size goes, but it can be used if you are trying to be, whatever your goal or your intention is, just understand that you don't have to be a certain size or... Wait, or come or, in with yeah. that expectation. So take that that expectation off of you. And understand whenever you walk into a gym, you don't know how long somebody has been training to get where they're at. Mm-hmm. You're going to meet people that this is their very first day. You're going to meet people that have been doing this 20-odd years. Mm-hmm. That may still be a white belt or a blue belt, depending on how much time and consistency they can put into training. Yes. You know, it's going to vary. You can't just walk in and be like, oh, they're a white belt. They must be new. No, they could have been there for a couple years, yeah. but because of things in their life, they had to put it on the back burner. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's going to happen. There's this thing that I've seen online where it's like every flower blooms differently. Exactly. You know, every flower blooms differently and their blooms may be different forms of beautiful too. So I'm just putting that out there too. If you fall into that, and I'm saying that term, 
remind myself that you know not to compare yourself to someone else yeah it's coming even in though there. we're a team yeah it's your own journey yes and your own time and your own space mm-hmm. so going into that you do not need an athletic background to start yes. jiu-jitsu yes for and example i'm a klutz <laughs> i <laughs> it's not as bad as she makes it sound. No, she actually especially, moves especially when I started, though, okay. I hadn't played sports in a few years. And when I did play sports, you know, it was volleyball, softball. I was in low squatted positions because I was a catcher. You know, I was in a very sturdy, I'm planting myself in the ground kind of position. Whereas for jujitsu, you move around a lot. Uh You can't stay planted or else something's going to happen to you. Mm -hmm. So even if you do have an athletic background, that may not transition 100% into jujitsu. So anyone from any walks of life can come in and start training jujitsu day zero. Yeah. You know. Because you're going to find that too. And I've had this conversation with our coach as well when we talk about the difference between talent and athleticism when it comes to being good at the sport because when we say being good obviously that's super subjective there's no being good is a very well-rounded statement yes but when you want to allow yourself to develop this skill and get a black belt because that's the goal right there are things that make that but athleticism helps and may assist you on some level but it only gets you so far and you can also develop your athleticism with the sport Exactly. And how you want to work at it. So, you know, there are days where you're not training jujitsu. You're doing your More strength and conditioning. Yeah. Like I, I lift and some of the specific lifts I do, I've communicated with my coaches to improve upon, particularly for judo. There are certain mm-hmm. lifts I do, um, like a uh, single leg deadlift, etc., in order to improve upon judo. So I supplement more athleticism to improve where I'm already working on technique. Okay, so I have a question for you. Because <laughs> this is another thing I haven't asked you, which is so funny that like it keeps coming up, this stuff. So for those that don't know, you do the Spartan races. Yes. Okay. Do you feel like when you train for a Spartan race, it helps you with your BJJ in any way? Or is it so separate where you like, you have two things that you enjoy and you keep them separately? Or is there a merging with the two? There are components. So the only way to get good for conditioning for jiu-jitsu is to do jiu-jitsu. So the conditioning that I'm doing for Spartan races are just straight up running, working on elevation, carries, etc., that's not 100% applicable because, you know, you're working different muscles. Uh, your your body is, becomes very efficient. No matter what you're doing, your body becomes very efficient and that it wants to reserve energy for that. So even if I'm training for Spartan races, I may be using different muscle groups and different types of energy, like the, and a different amount of energy that's going to be expressed during rolling or during drilling. So that's another part of like you want to always confuse your body so that it never, you never plateau. On going from that, <laughs> there are components that things that I've done to improve in Spartan races because the goal is you don't want to do you don't want to fail an obstacle because every time you fail an obstacle you have thirty burpees. No one wants to do thirty burpees. No. And if you if you ask my significant other, he does not train to be able to do burpees. He trains so that he doesn't have to do burpees by being able to do the obstacles. Ask Misty. We ran, <laughs> we ran a race. <laughs> She oh, had so many burpees. I know. I, I had a clean race. It was great. 
I can't do the monkey bars right now and I can't climb a rope right now. So that's my struggle. And then there was one obstacle. The first obstacle the I missed. Yes. Z wall was. <laughs> I missed it, but I was like, I'm not doing burpees for the first obstacle. I'm going to redo the obstacle. We were also in the open. So it was okay that she did not do her burpees. That yeah. was for honor system, not for competing. So we're good. <laughs> but there are components. Um, I, I expressed as crosstalk because in order for me to improve a lot of those Spartan obstacles, particularly when it's bad conditions, like if it's raining and pouring or cold, I have to improve my grip strength. Mm -hmm. Well, naturally, by doing strength and conditioning to improve my grip strength, like we just got a hangboard so, or in a pegboard. So I've been trying to work on my upper body. That transitions over into jujitsu in that now I have stronger grips in terms of being able to play with the lapel and the guard. So there are certain things that carry over into one yeah. another. Um, where were we on? <laughs> no, well, we were talking about the athleticism, but that's why I thought of that question because I was like, wait a minute, I don't, I we've not talked about this because I know you do the two, but I didn't know if they kind of merged where training for the Spartan races helped you with jujitsu or vice versa to or where they merge at. To an extent, again, it's components. Um, but if you ask my coaches, they think that I'm just going to injure myself and that's going to impact jujitsu negatively, yeah. which it does happen. Injuries yeah. happen. But I also now train in a way that it's more of stability and mobility. And I really focus on prehab and rehab for injuries. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually strengthening something. For example, um, I broke my foot, uh, part of my foot last year, and I had some stress fractures. But I was still running Spartan races. Probably not a good idea. Any doctors listening to this, please ignore me. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I would have to continuously tape my foot. So anytime we did a race, it would be painful to an extent, but I kind of let it slide, but I would get into the gym and I wouldn't be able to do certain leg locks mm -hmm. because of the stress fractures. But now since I went back with my training and reinforced making sure I was doing more mobility and stability and strengthening my feet, that's carried over into jujitsu in that I'm able to defend, I'm more aware of my body, so I'm able to defend more precisely when people are doing ankle locks, heel hooks, etc. So there are, there are, is a carryover. Um, and I did want to hit on something you said earlier, the definition between, or distinction, should I say, between natural talent and athleticism, because yes. they're two different things. Yes. When we talk about natural talent, it's like a kid in a class where they just are a sponge and they absorb everything and, and can apply it immediately. do it so well, because it's not frustrating. It's cool to watch, but yeah. like you see, I see... There's a six-year-old at our gym that I watch him where when he moves, he is picking up everything. He knows where to do a guard, and he's six, yeah. and he's small, and he's one of the newer kids, and he listens, and he listens so well, not just when he's being told to do his warm-ups, and he does every last jumping jack. He does every last sit-up the little burpees you know like he does everything and that's something and does that them i at see home too if it's yeah. the one that you're talking no, about this is someone else he's um oh, he's like the cutest little thing but he's so good and part of that i don't and i don't know where it is where i see him i'm like this kid better not quit jujitsu because he's places. so good but he listens and he's quiet and he knows, you know, when he's there, he's there to learn. And I think that's what 
is pretty distinct about what makes him so good or seem so natural. Or when you have someone in an adult class who will pick up moves. Like I've it's been the doing, technique. Yes. It's they're able to, their instincts are on point. Their body movement, they're very aware of their body and they're picking mm-hmm. up techniques. So when we say natural talent, like the first person that comes to mind is a, a lady that started a couple months ago. And that her body moves very naturally. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as you start to lead her in the correct direction, she's naturally going that way. And mm-hmm. I feel like she's really picked up technique very quickly. Yes. That's where I would say natural ability. Yeah. Athleticism is you have someone that's used to conditioning. They're used, they ha- they're very coachable because they're used to it. Yes. They, you can instruct them. So even if their body's not doing the correct thing, they're still aware or athletic enough that you can condition them in a different way. Yeah. But here's the interesting thing, and me and our coach, we, we've talked about this before, especially when I'm struggling, and I'm like, I can't do this move. I'm like, I, I don't know, and I hate saying that I can't do something, because I know I'll eventually get there. It's just in that moment that I learn it, because on some level, I'm not saying I'm I'm uncoordinated, but there's nothing that's diagnosable <laughs> about what I am. <laughs> But when I can't pick up something, I'm still determined to get that thing. I know I'll get there. But he and I have had this conversation because I want to do well. Like, I do have goals of winning Masters Worlds. I don't know about adult worlds yet. But I'm willing to constantly put myself out there because I want to get to that level because I know I can. Exactly. With the work that I put in. And... So talking to him about it, where he brings up so many great people who've been in MMA. GSP is one of them. Um, Nikki Ryan wasn't talented or athletic. And now you see him slaying at, what, 16, 17 years old? Mm -hmm. This was not a kid who grew up doing this. This was a kid, well, kind of, but he came in to, because he was kind of tagging along with his older brother. Mm Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, you can do this as long as you're doing the work. He was doing the reps. But he didn't go in with all this talent and athleticism. You you see great people that we establish as great now not coming in with those things. And they're able to do well and go good places. But what it's taking is that ability to say, hey. And this will go into, like, our second portion later on of, like, the mental aspect of it. But when we're talking... It's acknowledging. It's, it's still associated with, yes, you're it's acknowledging these, where you are physically and you're meeting your expectations where you are physically is what we're trying to say is, what can I, can I not do in this current moment? That doesn't mean I can't get there eventually. Yeah. And it also stems from acknowledging, acknowledging your weaknesses because some people you're going to notice Whenever you start, there's going to be a pool of students that start at roughly the same time within the the same month. You're kind of in a wave. And this is particularly for new students or even if you're going to a different gym. There's going to be a group of newbies around the same time. Everybody comes in in waves. And you're going to notice that some of y'all are going to advance at different rates. And that's fine. Because every flower blooms differently. (laughs) But... You're also going to realize some people have more athleticism. Some people have more natural talent. And then some are more aware of themselves. In that if you don't, if you know and acknowledge that you don't have that natural athletic talent, talk to your coach. What are some things that I can work on in order to 
work on my athleticism for BJJ outside of coming to classes and being consistent. On top of the fact you realize you aren't naturally inclined to pick up this technique. Now you need to communicate, okay, talk to your coach. What? On top of the fact you could also realize that you are not naturally inclined. So now you get to communicate with your coach, how should I learn? And that's what we're gonna spend the rest of this episode talking about. Yes. For white belts coming in, what are some things you should already know you need to work on? Yes. This is kind of before you're even there. Maybe you've had only one or two classes and you're a little lost as to what you're supposed to focus on. Because, again, you don't know when you're starting. You might be starting mid-curriculum and you're a little bit lost. And we're going to go over some fundamental movements and concepts we think you would really help build a foundation. Mm -hmm. And also some other expectations, for example, when you first start rolling, stuff like that. So, Misty, when you first started, what were one or two positions or movements you found were the most fundamentally important as a white belt? Uh, escaping side control is immediately... <laughs> I go to that even before I say a mount escape because everybody caught me in side control. It did not matter who was getting me there. I was always getting there and I always... I wasn't stuck. It was just, okay, I need to get out of this position because I'm sick of it. So, yes, I should have prevented myself from getting there. I'll get You're going to hear that a lot. But I got to the escapes first. And then I was approached by our coach and he was like, hey, I know something that's going to get you, stop you from getting in everybody's side control. And that's going to be guard retention. So we did the side control escapes. I worked on my escapes, found a direction like, okay, if I escape side control, where am I going next? And went from there. Right. But we also worked backwards was you need to work on guard retention. So I did the two because even if someone's a good passer, where they're going to get me? Side control. Right. So going from the escape you were just talking about, that goes down into two components. Mm -hmm. First, understanding how to have a frame, how to build your frame. What is a frame? So one of the first things you need to do is sit down, either watch some videos or talk to an upper rank whenever you get to the gym and just ask, what is a frame? Where do I properly have my frame? So if you are on bottom, the intention of your frame isn't to bench press somebody off of you, especially if you're a smaller female, that's not going to happen. I mean, I have a decent bench press. I can bench press Misty, but I'm not going to bench press, you know, a 200 pound guy. It's not yeah. going to happen. The intention of your frame is to create enough space for you to move and to be able to breathe comfortably. Yes. On so comfortably is a little bit in the gray area. You get very comfortable with being smashed. <laughs> so uh, comfort to one person may be barely being able to breathe to another person, but you're still breathing. You're fine. But being able to utilize that frame to make enough space for you to move. Also with the frame, I don't know if you're going to say this, but this also comes to my mind because someone who's going to be in side control position or even like any escape, they're always going to go for an underhook. So mm -hmm. when you do that, you protect your armpit. You're keeping your armpit closed so they can't go in. For those who may be a little bit newer or were kind of the conceptual part, for some reason, that clicked a lot for me was, mm -hmm. oh, they can't get an underhook if my arm's like this. And if you were watching this, you'd see that I'm not lifting my <laughs> arm up. A big thing is that your, your frame isn't your arms extended from you. 
Anytime your arms start extending from yourself, you're opening yourself up to attacks of various kinds, depending on if they're going to go for the arm, if they're going to go for chokes, etc. So what you want to do is you want your frame to be protecting your core because from there, you're not only protecting your arms by having your elbows close to your sides, you're also protecting your neck because now you're able to move and adjust your frame and tuck your chin to be able to protect from any chokes. But again, you need to learn what is a frame, what is the purpose of my frame, etc. On bottom, you're trying to make space. If you're playing a top position, you're trying to take away that space. So understanding how a frame impacts the amount of space between you and your opponent is a really big concept to understand and understanding where your hands are supposed to be so that you don't open yourself up for attack. The second component of the escape Misty was talking about is shrimping. Mm -hmm. This is hard for some people because... The big example you're going to get is there's a large stone in which the same size stone is crushing a lion and he tries to bench press it off of himself. You think this bigger animal should be able to push it, right? And then you have this small shrimp crushed under the exact same size rock that's able to move its body around the weight until it frees itself. So that's the whole point of a shrimp, is that it's moving its body around the way. I think Misty just had this big epiphany. No, I just never heard this story. <laughs> yeah, but I heard that when I was like a white no, belt. That was the worst thing. I don't, this story. I don't know if it's like a legit story or if my hilarious. instructor pulled them okay. out of their ass. I don't know. <laughs> All I know is it really stuck with me on why we do the shrimping movement. So the shrimping movement, what it does is it takes your body offline in that you, if you are starting from a flat position on your back, I am, have increased the surface area to the ground. All of my weight is distributed rather evenly. What I need to do is I need to move my body around the weight to make space for me to be able to move my legs, say I'm going into a guard, or I'm just completely disengaging. But I can't make that space from my back because again, more surface area on the ground, my opponent on top of me, I'm making it easier for them to smush me. So I need to make that space. So anytime you're shrimping, you need to be engaged with your frame, making sure that your hands are in the proper place as you lift your hips up and get off to the side. At no point are my legs extended during this time. You need to have your heels close to your butt, knees up in the air. And again, lifting your hips, pushing them out to get all the way onto your shoulder and your, uh, all the way onto your hip and shoulder, that line, so that you have space in front of you to work with. Um, shrimping in place, learning how to reverse shrimp, going in the opposite direction. Those are two fundamental movements that you will use all the time in a self-defense situation, an MMA situation. At any point, you are going to use those two movements. And the reason for that is, too, is because there's going to be times you will never be able to control your opponent or your aggressor. It's You're always going to have the opportunity to move your body. Right. So someone told me that, and it made so much sense, especially when I was newer. Like, yeah, now I know these things. And I was like, yeah, I know that. But when I was new and people tell me these concepts or, like, what you're saying about a shrimp, if you really think about the shrimp and how it's so fundamental, it takes one shrimp that could make or break an entire role or a match. Or being able to escape out of a dangerous position. Yeah, so that goes into another movement that will actually help with your shrimping, bridging. Mm -hmm. So when I'm talking about bridging is that you, again, are flat on your back, your knees are up because your heels are close to your butt, and you're lifting and you're extending your hips as much as you possibly can upwards. 
As you can progress in this mobility, what you're going to do is you're actually going to be rolling more up on your shoulders, tilting your head to the side so that you're not rolling over on your neck, and being able to shoot your arm across to get that full extension as you lift your hips up. And you're just going from side to side. Bridging is also going to help your shrimping because now you're realizing how to move your hips and what mobility you do or do not have. This could be something to work on, just being able to bridge in place. Again, shrimping in place, bridging in place. These are things that you can work on at home. Yeah. Uh, to piggyback off of that, that John Danahar post that I sent you when it came to doing things like passing, mm -hmm. it's all about breaking down the other person's shrimp. So if you understand the fundamentals of this basic fundamental move, it's going to allow you to perform better in so many other positions, whether it's an escape, you know, you're controlling your own body, you're just getting some cardio in for a warm up, whatever it is, it's so foundational, but it ties into every other part of whether it's escaping or you've got to know what the foundations of a shrimp for you to have even a better top game. Exactly. That's that's what made a lot of sense to me. That clicked, and that was literally what, like a couple weeks ago? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we talked about a few movements that are on the ground. But what about getting there? Misty, you learned this the hard way. <laughs> what a break fall uh, is. Oh, yes, okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to say pulling guard, like pulling guard. No, 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 no. Okay. Let's not start with that. <laughs> Okay. Let's say you have somebody that pushes you. Oh, yeah. Break falls are so foundational because that's literally how you get to the ground. Whether it's an actual takedown someone's doing in a match or, you know. Or if you, you're, okay, if you're a klutz like me. If you fall on your own. Say we're at the beginning of a horror movie. I'm a white girl. What's going to happen? I'm going to trip and fall yeah. while I'm running from my killer. <laughs> I mean, but if I could fall properly, then I could face them. Yeah. So a break fall is really good in learning how to safely fall and distribute your weight and protect your head. Yes. Are you in the real world? Are you going to fall on a nice soft padded mat? No. no. So there are... There are limitations in terms mm -hmm. of the real world application for a break fall due to the fact that you might be falling on concrete, you might be falling on gravel, but it still protects you. That that muscle memory of a break fall, it's going to be, it becomes so instinctual when you do these moves so much, that's literally going to be an instinct after you've been doing BJJ for so, you know, for so long, someone pushes you on the ground before you can catch them. Because I don't care how good you say you are at jujitsu, like I'm not gonna lie, but if someone pushes you before you even realize what's going on, what are you? Gonna You're gonna do? go down. You're gonna break fall. And, and what happens in the real world before people have learned what a break fall is, what happens is they instinctually try to catch themselves by placing your arm behind you. Yeah. I know a girl, white belt. She broke her arm doing this. She reached her arm back, and she actually had a compound fracture. Oh. Because she tried to catch herself on her hand. Whenever you're falling, you don't want to catch yourself on your appendages due to the fact that structurally that's too much pressure going going through and too much energy and that's where injuries can occur. Yeah. So what happens is that you want to expel this energy a little bit differently. First being you want to fall with your back rounded because your chin should be tucked and that you are safely protecting your head so you shouldn't get whiplash as you fall back. But also... As you're curling up, you're naturally going to bring your arms forward 
this is just a natural reaction as you curl into a ball, your arms naturally come forward, which is safer due to the fact that you're not reaching behind you. So as you fall back, again, keeping your chin tucked, then you're expelling the energy in your arms by going outwards, palm down. Again, there are exceptions. There are side break falls. There are rolling break falls. There are different things, but just understanding a traditional break fall. You can learn it first from sitting where you just rock back. You can learn it from a squatting position, and then you can get a little bit more violent in that you're standing and you actually forcefully throw yourself back into a yeah. break fall to see if you're able to still keep this form the entire time. But what about getting back up? Technical stand up is your, <laughs> your next thing because this creates distance between you and your opponent or aggressor where... And yeah, you can technical stand up when you've got their leg and you want to go for a pass, whatever. We're not going to get that far, but there's something about a technical stand up. When you look at the positioning and the movement itself, it allows that distance. That and whenever you get up and somebody is in front of you, because it's technical stand up, technical get up, it's all the same thing. You need to be facing your aggressor or your opponent. If I turn away at any point, what if they have a knife? You yeah. know, what if they have a club and they can clock me over the head? If I'm turned away from that, I can't protect myself. I can't see that they're going for my head. But if I am facing them head on as I do this technical getup, then I'm more likely to know if something's coming. Mm -hmm. So not only is it good in terms of sport jujitsu because I know if they're trying to close the distance and get on top of me, but it's also good in the real world because I know where my attacker is. If I turn my head away at any point, I no longer know where they are. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if they have something. But if I'm facing you, I have a better idea of, okay, I can see that I don't see a weapon right now. Doesn't mean you don't have one. Mm -hmm. But I acknowledge that you're not coming at me with a weapon right now. Yeah. Or you're able to kick out at your opponent. Again, make space, get out. Mm-hmm. Um. So we talked about a couple of movements you can work on. Um, first being your expectations of yourself. Then being some movements and positions that we find are really fundamental to work on, particularly as a white belt. Because white belt is all about survivability. So now yeah. we're going to go a little bit into the training mindset and how you should train. First, understand, you are a white belt. <laughs> We've all been white belts. We've all been white belts. We, even if you have experience, you don't know what you're doing, and that's okay. It can be awkward. You're going to be spazzy. No matter how much you're like, no, that's not going to be me. I'm going to be nice and controlled. You're not. No. There's so many people, even if they come in with a good mindset, that... You react. It's, it's instinct. You're well, fighting your instinct. It's fight or flight mode. Because when you're rolling for the first time and you've never been in any sort of physical confrontational thing, you're going into survival mode where you're just like, oh my God, this person's going to kill me. So when you're, the way you're being perceived from a higher belt, and we've all been there. That's why I'm going to reiterate, we've all been there. But as a higher belt watching a lower belt, we're watching you go in spaz mode and we're breathing and we're controlled because it's taken us this training of getting through survivability to now controlling this other person. Exactly. And there's a, a certain level of conditioning that goes into it. Mm -hmm. The very first time you roll, you're not going to be able to breathe afterwards. No. And if you go with an upper rank, you're going to notice that their breathing never changed. 
that they're able to hold a conversation. And the biggest thing is you're going to forget to breathe. You're going to automatically be like, oh my God, what do I do? I don't remember anything yeah. from class. You're going to go hundred miles an hour. I'm going to die. This is going to be terrible. If I put my hand here, I'm going to die. If I do this, I, like, you're going to constantly think. Yeah, like, I still hold my breath. Like I still hold, even when I'm drilling, I hold my breath. But do you remember like the first time you, I remember the first time I rolled. Do you remember the first time you rolled what it was like? I remember or like how you felt maybe like mine was exactly mine was two weeks in and I just remember that it was so much of a blur and my chest was heaving mm -hmm. afterwards and I was like I didn't know anything to do and they were like well the first thing you need is breathe yeah you're like you can't submit someone if you've knocked yourself out yeah there's so many times where I've been told even when you were applying submissions that if you do not breathe, you are going to go out before the person that you're submitting. Yeah. Every time. So breathing is one of the biggest things. And also, in the beginning, we acknowledge you're not going to know how much strength to use. You're not going to know mm -hmm. how much resistance. So in the beginning, you're probably going to be slapping us. It's basically... You're, prob you're probably going to be throwing us around. It's literally a fight. Like It is. It, it's, it's a fight. Because when we rolled for the first time, it was a pack of white belts. Rolling because... That's all we had. We had a few blue belts, no purple belts. It was all of us. So it's a weird thing going into your first roll or if you've been rolling and now you're just like, I feel stuck. I don't feel progress. I'm still getting my butt kicked. You have to go back to, I'm literally in this position to survive right now. I'm learning because sometimes you don't have that opportunity to not survive. You may be big and be able to control someone just because you're big and strong, but when you're small and don't have strength, what what are you gonna do? You, ha you have to fall back on your technique. Mm -hmm. So the biggest thing, again, when you come into the gym, we don't expect anything from you. No, I say this kindly. I'm not saying a, I'm not saying this in a negative manner at all. I'm just saying you're just a person coming in. You're new. You have nothing to prove. Like we're telling you, Keely's a purple belt. I'm a blue belt. And if you came in with you know just us, you literally have nothing to prove. Like I'm I'm very much. If I see a new person, I'm just thinking. Yes, somebody to fall in love with this obsession of mine and join mm -hmm. the cult. You know, that is, that's my mindset. I'm not thinking, oh, this person better be able to do this. I'm not. Yeah. Everyone starts at a different level. Everyone starts at a different comprehension of material, mm -hmm. at a different athleticism. So for some people coming in, it might be, okay, let's be able to do a proper shrimp in the first yeah. year. That's that's well, it. And even if you're still training, like, even if you're training at this point right now and you're listening to us and talk about these things, maybe eliminate those expectations from yourself you've been having. Right. Too. That's, and that's part of it as well where you're like, you know, what am I get, getting out of this if I'm just getting my butt kicked all the time or I'm not getting this physically or what's going on? There's the expectations going back to that, just eliminating that. Yeah. Understand the first thing is showing up. And then the second thing is to continue to show up. Yes. So as long as you go to class consistently and you're paying attention in class, not doing just what you want to do, not being like, oh, I saw the same move last week. I know it. You don't. None of us do. We've yeah. been, there are moments where we've been doing things for a few years and we still learn something new about it every time it's taught. Yep. So just keep doing what you're doing, keep showing up, and the physical attributes will come. Yes. And then 
Next episode, we're going to talk about the mental aspect of starting. So if anything, between Tuesday and Thursday, maybe focus on going to class and be present and really focus on the drills. Yeah. But if anything, we'll catch you next episode.